Welcome. It's great to be with you again today. Today we will be studying a new book. We will be looking at the book of Colossians. This is one of four epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison. It is a very critical one because even though the church of Colossians was one of the smallest numbers-wise of any of the recipients of Paul's letters, the contents of this book are very, very critical for the Christian faith. And they are actually highly treasured and a bedrock of our understanding, especially of who Jesus is. In the world today, new philosophies and liberal kind of everything goes mindset like new age philosophies are are dominating a lot of thinking but the book of colossians is light in the dark and in it we see some of the most beautiful and powerfully worded christology in the new testament what is christology christology is the doctrine about christ who is jesus we are christians but who is christ who is the one that we are following Those questions are answered in the book of Colossians, his might, his power, his supremacy, and his sufficiency as the creator, as the sustainer, as our redeemer, as our savior are all shown in the book of Colossians. So new believers can study the book of Colossians to better understand who Jesus is, and longtime believers can keep coming back to it over and over again to get back to the roots of our faith in Christ, who is our head. So the theme is is cosmic and big and changes the universe. It's a grand, grand theme, but it still relates to each of us. And it related also to this small out-of-the-way church in Colossae. So before we get into the book of Colossae, I just want to introduce to you briefly a bit of the background of the city, the author, and those things. We talked about the theme for just a moment. And then we'll get right into Colossians chapter 1. And today we will be looking at Colossians 1, 1 through 8. So first I'll read verses 1 and 2. Then I'll talk a little bit about that background. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So the author, this letter was written by the apostle Paul, uh, as is his kind of calling card. He starts off most of his epistles this way, identifying himself, who he is, and telling them that he is an apostle. So in addition to the evidence within this text, external evidence, early church traditions also point to Paul as the author. Again, this is one of four prison epistles he wrote along with Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians. So Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome, likely awaiting an appearance before the insane Nero probably written around the time of AD 61 or 62. Now, a lot of times Paul starts right off saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, because he wants the people to know that he is credible and that he is speaking as a appointed representative of the Lord, okay? So it's not just his own ideas, but he has authority behind him as an apostle. Uh, The city it was written to was Colossae. This is an ancient city located in what was known as Asia Minor, or Asia, but that is the region that is now modern-day Turkey. It was built on a very important trade route, uh, so it was rich and prosperous for a lot of its history, and it made a very uh, rich, dark cloth uh, that it produced and then traded. Earthquakes hit the city in AD 17 and AD 60. 
the second one was likely just a short time before this was written. So these disasters and then more business competition kind of made the city fade into obscurity. And then finally, it no longer existed by AD 400. So its nearby sister cities were Laodicea and Hierapolis. And these were both bigger uh, cities which were nearby. Uh, the church at Colossae was one that probably Paul, at least there's no record of him ever visiting it. If you look at uh, Colossians 1 verse 4, he says, we heard of your faith, uh, which would seem to indicate Paul himself had not been there. He hadn't visited before. It was not because he went and planted this church, but yet it was still a result of Paul's ministry. In Acts 19, he ministered in Ephesus. And during this period of time, in only two years, everyone in Asia, that is modern-day Turkey, heard the gospel. So Paul's ministry was effective because it went beyond himself, right? He trained up disciples who would then disciple others. He trained up leaders who would lead others. He planted churches, which would plant more churches. And it was really a reproducing ministry. And so his ministry had reproduced these churches even that he had never seen or visited before. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into it. Uh, it is likely that Epaphras, who is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7, is someone who Paul had sent and who probably planted the church or at least was integral in starting it up and establishing it. Uh, the church at Colossae was largely Gentiles. There are few teachings in the book of Colossians regarding, you know, Judaism uh, or Jewish legalism, which other epistles mention a lot, questions about circumcision or eating certain foods or those kinds of things. There's there's not much of that in this book because it was largely written to Gentiles <clears throat> and largely written to Gentile believers. Okay, so that's a bit of the background of this book. Because it was written to believers, then it deals with many issues which believers who have already placed their faith in Christ will face. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 7, and we'll discuss that. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So this is kind of an opening section in the book of Colossians, and it talks about Paul's thanksgiving for them, his prayer for them, and it's really just filled with encouragement from Paul to them. He says, we always thank God. We give thanks to God for you and for the church that has started in your city. The Colossian church was evidence that God was at work far beyond what they could see. Now again, as far as we know, neither Paul nor his very closest team of companions went to this city, and yet a faithful church had been planted there and sprung up. How? Why? We didn't know all the details, but we do know God was at work. So examples like this can remind us, even when we cannot see God at work around us, he is. 
And we don't know the effects of the preaching or the training or the teaching or of discipling others. When you share the gospel with someone, maybe they don't believe uh, right away. Maybe they believe later. Or maybe they go in and talk to someone else about it and maybe that person believes. Maybe you never see or know it. One of the most encouraging things is that I, I had been on a mission trip and shared the gospel with someone <clears throat> in, a, in a certain country in Asia. And I, I shared with a lot of people during that year. I don't actually remember that person specifically. But many years later, uh, someone came to me and said, Oh, I was talking to this person in this area of the city. And this was a, a faithful sister who was following Christ. And I asked this person for their personal testimony and how they were saved. And they mentioned your name. Uh, and they mention you. And that is, apparently, I had shared the gospel with this person much before. The person I, I'd lost contact with, I didn't know if they believed or not. And then later, uh, this sister, uh, this lady did believe and become a sister. And so that was very encouraging to me that sometimes we plant seeds and we do not see or know the effect that they will have. But as Paul says in the book of Corinthians, we, we plant seeds and then God waters them and then God causes the growth. So when we do know that or hear that, that's a really exciting thing. We should give thanks to God for that. Now, something else we see here is that Paul says he was praying for them. He was praying for them. And that's a, a lesson for us that Paul was soaking his ministry in prayer. This was a group of people that he never met personally. He just heard about them. And yet he cared about them so much that he prayed about them. He, he prayed for them consistently. And he was so encouraged and so thankful to the Lord for their faith. And that they were growing in the Lord. At the beginning when Paul was praying for this region or this people, perhaps it was unnamed faces or unnamed people praying for the people of Colossae. And later, as the seeds took effect and, and God transformed people's lives, then a name and a face might be attached to those prayers. Do we pray like that? Do we pray for people even way beyond our own circles? We tend to pray most for ourselves, And then we pray for the people who are close to us. How about others? How about missionaries? How about Christian workers across the globe? How about our political leaders or political leaders of other countries? How much do we even pray or know about the situation of the church in different countries? Did you know that in Egypt, there were thousands of people who came to know the Lord in a revival meeting? Did you know that in Iran, it is one of the fastest growing uh, churches in the whole world? Do we know those things? We should read more about what God is doing in other areas of the world and then pray for those people and for those regions. So when I look at this in Colossians 1, I'm just reminded, well, Paul is a very encouraging person. And most of the time, at the beginning of his epistle, the beginning of his letter, he first gave people a lot of encouragement. A lot of encouraging words to say, this is the good things I've heard about you. This is what I know you are doing well. This is how I know you are growing in your faith and the gospel is being spread through you and I'm praying for you. And so he just establishes that connection and he lets them know, I care for you and I love you and I want what is best for you. And so sometimes in those epistles later on, he might share some correction, some teaching, maybe even some rebukes. 
And because he took the time to let them know his care for them, that connection is deeper, they'll be more willing to accept any of those criticisms that come later on. Colossians doesn't have so much of that as some of the other letters do, but it reminds us just of of the way that Paul communicates to them in such an encouraging way. Are you an encourager? Do you give a lot of encouraging words to others? There are some people in my life who who do that. Uh, There are two or three people at least three people in my mind that that come to mind right now who when I meet them, I'm pretty sure at some point in the conversation, they will say some very encouraging words to me, perhaps acknowledging some hard work I've done in some area or giving me some really positive feedback about some aspect of my life. And it's such a blessing and a pleasure to be around those people because when they say those words, you know they care for you. You know they they pray for you and they want to see you succeed. So let us think about how Paul communicates with the Colossians, the way he prays for them, the way he encourages them, and let us do the same thing as well in our relationships with others to pray for other people and then to share words of encouragement with them as well. Uh, Moving forward, verse 4, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Again, he just heard of their faith. He had likely not visited there before, but it didn't matter to him that he didn't know them personally. He didn't say, oh, those are not my church or it's not my disciples. It's not my people. Those are like Epaphras' guys. No, the church is the church and brothers and sisters are brothers and sisters. It didn't matter to him that he never ministered there. He still cared for them. They were saved by the same Christ They were chosen by the same God. They were baptized by the same Spirit. So Paul wasn't short-sighted, just focusing only on what was right in front of him, the tangible things there. But his vision extended beyond himself to really everywhere that Christ had never been named. And that was his goal, right? was to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. So how would you have reacted to this news about this church if you were Paul? How do you react now when you hear about movements for the Lord in other regions of your country or even other countries? Are you willing to think about, pray about, and show care for people beyond your own circles of influence? It could be a, a friend from your high school days or, or you know, a colleague from decades ago. Perhaps if you were to reach out to them, not with an epistle like Paul does, although you could write a long letter, but just with a short message of encouragement. I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. You know, how is your family doing? How's your life going these days? And show them that care, that love, and that support. And that could make a big difference in people's lives. So sharing the gospel is not just, okay, we share the gospel, we're done. But it's following up and it's showing care and love for people. So what does Paul say about them? Well, notice this. He says, since we have heard of your faith and of the love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he mentions faith, hope, love. The three keys of Christianity, they evidenced all of them. What a good report. What great encouragement. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So the Colossians demonstrated the three cornerstones of the Christian faith. Faith, hope, and love. Now if someone were to write about you and what they've observed about you, what they've heard about you, would they have such good things to say as Paul had about Colossians? Not all of the churches did. 
uh, I believe in the book of 1 Corinthians, the positive things Paul says about them is quite little because probably he couldn't think of anything because it was a really, really messy church situation. But here he says you have faith, you have hope, you have love. What would people say about you? Would they recognize that you have these three qualities? Which of these three areas, faith, hope, love, do you need to grow in? How can you grow in it? Think about the ways you can grow in those areas in your own life. And if you can also see those positive things in others and encourage them for it and also pray those things, pray those things for yourself, for your children or family and for your church and for those around you, that the church will grow in faith in hope and in love. The hope laid up for you in heaven. Okay, so they had heard the gospel. The gospel had come to them, right? And it says, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. So in all the world, the gospel is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. This is what the gospel is supposed to be. It's not something supposed to be stagnant. It's not just like, okay, do you believe? If you believe, raise your hand in church and then you live your life unchanged. When someone believes in Christ, the Spirit lives in his heart and this begins the process of sanctification. This person may sin and fall, sometimes regress, but generally speaking, this a real believer is going to be growing. They'll have growth in their life. And this should be an overarching trend, right? It's not a straight line. There's some ups and there's some downs, but it's a trend of upward trajectory, upward movement, growth in the person's life. Now, if there's a a person who just plateaus and, and never grows, that's a sign there's a serious problem. If you were to have a child and the child reaches two years old and then just stops growing, You might not notice for a while. It might be a few months until you really notice, "Mm, my child's not growing. But then you will say, wow, there's a serious problem here. I need to take this person to the doctor to find out what is the problem. What about spiritually? Some people come to know, come to make a profession of faith in the Lord. And at some point, it's just like "Mm, flatline, no growth. And Do we realize there's a problem? Does that person realize there's a problem? It's not supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to just stay the same because God's word is supposed to be constantly bearing fruit and increasing in our lives. And it's not something about stagnation. So a believer who's not growing, this is something abnormal or atypical, problematic. There's a serious problem. Maybe the person's not a believer at all, or maybe something needs to happen to spark them, to jumpstart them in their faith. So what about yourself? Are you growing? Is this increasing in your life? Is also your church that you're a part of, is it increasing and is it growing? And I don't just mean by numbers, but in the quality of faith and discipleship. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God began a good work in you if you're saved and he will keep doing it. He will keep working on you. He will keep sanctifying you. In other words, you will keep growing. If a person is a real believer, then there will be growth. So for you, are you constantly bearing fruit or just every now and then? Is the word of truth increasing in you? How could you even tell if you're growing? Well, you should set goals for yourself. You should also evaluate yourself and look at your life. Is it 
being typified more and more by the fruit of the Spirit. Keep moving forward, keep moving upward by the grace of God. And the good news is God's word is powerful. So when we immerse ourselves in it, it has this life-transforming effect on us. When we share it with others, it has that effect on them as well. So verse 6, this is all bearing fruit and it's increasing. And it says, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the, God, the, the grace of God and truth. So you heard the gospel. The gospel has been increasing in your life. You heard it. You're growing. You're sharing it with others. That is what Paul is excited about. It's a real, live, vibrant church. And unfortunately, there are a lot of so-called churches in the world today which appear to be dead, and they are just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Um, on a recent trip uh, between from overseas back to the U.S., I had a layover in Egypt I went out uh, for the day and I saw some old churches from the medieval ages, some of the Coptic churches, beautiful stained glass windows and all these things. But some of these places, to, to be honest, they appear dead. They have small congregations or almost no congregations. And people, you know, there's a beautiful building, there's a beautiful exterior but there doesn't seem to be that growth and that vibrancy inside in some of these places. Now, in some places in Egypt, there is, as I mentioned before. So let us be a church and a people who grow. Moving forward to verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Now, it seems that Epaphras was likely trained by Paul during his ministry, maybe to Ephesus, or maybe at this two-year training school that Paul set up. Then Epaphras takes the gospel, it looks like, back to Colossae. So Paul clearly thought highly of him. He calls him a beloved fellow servant. This is, in fact, what we all should be. We should treat each other as uh, beloved, to care for one another, and then we should be faithful bond servants of the Lord. So it was probably from, oh, it will, from Epaphras that Paul learned about the Colossians, their faith, and the struggles that they faced. And it was from him that they learned more and more about um, that it was from, from Epaphras that Paul had learned about their love in the Spirit. So Epaphras was the go-in-between messenger between the two groups. So in the passage today, we learned a little bit about the background of Colossae and this church and Paul's relationship with them. And we really see his encouraging communication, the way he prayed for them, the way he cared for them, the way he, he loved them, the way he, he encouraged them. And we're reminded that we should be encouraging toward others like that. We also see that the church of Colossae was alive, was vibrant, and was growing. And we were reminded that we also should be like that in our relationship with the Lord. We should be growing as well. If you want my whole study on the book of Colossians, you can go to my website where you can view it or you can get a book about that. Those links are below. The book will have discussion questions which you can use to dive deeper into the text or use to lead a small group. I would invite you to like and to subscribe. Doing these two small things is a simple way to support this channel and basically encourage YouTube. Just give YouTube a little bit of a nudge to pass that content out to more people who we hope through this will learn to study and obey God's word for themselves as well. So thank you so much for viewing and I look forward to seeing you next time as we continue our study in Colossians. God bless. See you then. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.